to their own individual need. Not everyone could do that, Lord, but uh, you can do that. You can take a word and split it a hundred ways and, and touch each and every one of us according to our need. And in confidence and in expectation, uh, we make this request through Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I want to tell you a, a story that's recorded in Luke chapter 8. It involves Jesus, who was certainly a, a Jewish man who followed Jewish custom. And uh, it's a story within a story, and it's told by his official biographer, actually Luke. Uh, Luke was not a contemporary of Jesus. He, he lived in those days, certainly, but uh, we have no knowledge that he ever met Jesus. He came on the scene after Jesus had died and rose again from the dead. In fact, in his opening comments in his gospel and also in his uh, book called The Acts of the Apostles, he describes the fact that he made a thorough investigation of the claims made about this man. Luke was a Greek. He was a physician. His gospel is sometimes called Mary's gospel. Of course, we get the great Christmas accounts from Luke. And uh, things that he records for us, probably only Mary knew. And, and, and so it's a different kind of gospel. It's, it's an educated gospel. Uh, because he was a medical person, a physician, uh, he focuses on medical issues more than the other writers. And he tells them with a, a personal knowledge that's, that's just powerful and convicting. Uh, in Luke chapter 8, he tells us a story that's really a story within a story. Jesus uh, took his disciples after his Sermon on the Mount and after the crush of people during that time of great popularity when everyone was seeking a miracle from him and, and he was feeding 5,000 people and, and uh, reputation was spreading fast. Uh, we are told that he got into a boat and he said, I, I want to go to the opposite side. Now, what that means is that he wanted to go to the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee. All the Jews lived on the western shore. That was Palestine. The eastern shore was a Gentile region. In fact, the main uh, agricultural business on the uh, eastern side was raising pigs. And, of course, Jewish people considered those unclean animals and would have nothing to do with them. And so that was a land that they would never go to, which is precisely why Jesus went there, you know, to get away from the people. And we know the story, many of us know the story anyway, that while he was there, he came upon a demonic man, and uh, he cast out the demons in this man, and he cast them into a herd of pigs who went and, and then destroyed themselves in the water. So great were the number of demons in that man called Legion. And they became afraid of him, and so they asked him to please leave their land. And, and so Jesus now returns to the land of his people. They were uh, Jesus deficient. You know, they, they were in need of a Jesus fix. And, and they came rushing to him in great crowds as they heard that he was coming. And as he approached the people, we are told that Jairus, who was a leader of the synagogue, you, you just don't get any more important than that in Jewish culture, a leader of the synagogue uh, everybody got out of his way, and he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and, and grasped him around the legs and said, Lord, please help me. And that was pretty incredible that a, a public leader of the Jewish faith that had not recognized Jesus as a Messiah, and uh, most religious leaders 
uh, of that ilk had in fact condemned him and would eventually condemn him even to the cross but this man was in such great need because he had a 12 year old daughter his only child who was near death and he was imploring Jesus to do whatever he could for her and this is this is the story he's surrounded by people this man of great respect and great reputation humbled himself at his feet and is pleading with Jesus to provide for his daughter. And then while all of this is going on, all of this commotion, all of this craziness, and everybody's straining to hear what every word that man was saying to Jesus, quietly, secretly, Without any attempt to gain the Lord's attention, a hand came through the crowd and touched the fringe of the Lord's robe. This commotion was going on. This person made no claim, made no effort to gain his attention, just touched the hem of his robe. And Luke tells us what happened. In the midst of all that commotion and this incredible plea made by this well-known man, Jesus stops and the story changes. And he said, who touched me? Peter was nearby and he said, who touched you? Who didn't touch you? Everybody's touching you. It's a press of people around you, Jesus. What do you mean who touched you? He said, no. Someone touched me. And he began to look around. And this woman, who was secretive, who had suffered from a hemorrhage for 12 years, and the scripture says had suffered much at the hands of doctors, Remember Luke being a physician. Knew that she had been noticed. Not by anybody else, but by Jesus. And she who was secretive, hiding a very personal matter, knelt trembling before Jesus and confessed that she had touched him. And she said, and Lord, immediately at the touch of your garment... My hemorrhage stopped, and I know I am well. From secretive about a very personal matter to publicly speaking in front of all those people and in front of the Savior what had happened and what he had done for her. And Jesus said, woman, go in peace. Your faith has made you well. What an incredible, incredible story of Jesus noticing an insignificant woman with a personal issue that was too difficult for her to talk about in public. Now, I resonate to that story a bit, and and perhaps you do too, and I I hope that you will before the evening's over. most of you don't know. I've not made much of it, and, and I hesitate to now. 
because I don't want your attention and I don't want your uh, concern expressed towards me. Uh, welcome your prayers. But um, last week I made a quick trip to Indiana. Uh, my youngest sister, I, I come from a family of, of seven children, and I have three older and three younger. And it just so happens that my oldest sister is seven years older than me, and my youngest sister is seven years younger than me. So my folks kept busy for, you know, almost two decades there having babies. And, uh, and my youngest sister, who's seven years younger than me, has been diagnosed with uh, a cancer that is just ravaging her body. And uh, she'd had breast cancer a few years ago. And uh, she's a nurse. In fact, she's in charge of nurses in a major hospital group. Um, had done everything right and, and made sure that she got the very best care from the very best physicians, as you can imagine. No one knows physicians like nurses. And, uh, and she was healed until she wasn't. Uh, after a few years, she began to slur her speech just recently. And she thought, that's odd. And she thought, maybe I had some kind of a stroke. And so she went to see the doctors, and they discovered that she had a brain tumor. And as they began to do more tests, they found out that she had actually cancer throughout her body. In fact, her leg was so cancerous, they had to place a rod in her leg to keep it from breaking. Uh, this is how quickly this cancer has come upon her and ravaged her. Uh, now, the reason I mention her in light of this story is that this woman had something that she was very secretive about. My sister uh, will not even take my calls, uh, but I, I was glad to know that she hasn't singled me out. She doesn't take any family calls, and, and, uh, and it, we were close. We, we are close. In, in fact, um, being my little sister, she has admired my life. In fact, she moved her family to go to a Christian school, and, and her son... Uh, who's my nephew, has become a pastor also in the church, you know, largely inspired by my life. And, and I'm, I'm very humbled by all of that, but I've especially had a good relationship, a very close relationship with this sister. And um, it's not that she doesn't care. It's just so private for her. She doesn't want attention. She doesn't want to waste any energy. She wants to just deal with it. Her husband, her, and her children two children, one married in Michigan and one married and living in Wisconsin. And it's a very private matter. So that uh, in order to find anything out about her, I have to call my other sisters who live in the area, who live near her. And uh, they keep me abreast, but only because they go over there, walk over there, and, uh, and intrude upon that situation. And we all care so much. I will even send her text messages or, or Facebook messages. And uh, I may ask her questions, but she'll respond we love you too, Steve. <laughs> that's, that's it. Not a lot. And so my brother-in-law called and said, um, Carla is in the hospital and she's not good. And I said, should I come? And he says, uh, you won't regret coming. You might regret not coming. And uh, I thought that was a good answer. And so I just dropped everything. I had a full week plan and people here are so good. Dropped everything, drove over there. And uh, she'd been unconscious for a while because she had developed a blood infection that was threatening her life. And uh, in order to treat the blood infection, they'd taken her off the other medication that was dealing with her cancer, so her brain began to swell and she became unconscious. Uh, they'd gotten that blood infection knocked down and her blood cell count was better, and so they'd begun to uh, provide you know, treatment for the other things. And, 
And as I walked in the room, she became conscious. Kid you not. Her husband was sitting there and was just astonished. And she opened her eyes and when I touched her hand and she said, Steve, what are you doing here? And uh, we had a great conversation uh, that afternoon. And I went and saw her again the next morning until I drove back in the afternoon. And uh, it, it's just so personal. She doesn't want any distraction. She doesn't want to be the center of any attention. It doesn't mean that it's not emotional for her. Uh, she's a lady of faith, great faith. And I, I know that she has emotion because when I would pray with her, she would just cry like a baby. We laughed, we cried, we prayed. And uh, I said my goodbyes, and she cried some more. And uh, it's, it's just a moment when... You just want to kind of focus on your relationship with Jesus and nothing else, just nothing else. Not even uh, family uh, can intrude upon that personal struggle that you're in. Now, you don't have to be sick and you don't have to have a sister uh, near death to feel that way. It can be some past or present shame that you have that's isolating you from any discussion of your situation, any seeking of counsel or help from anybody else. It could be some setback. It can be some fear that you have. It could be some burden, some hurt that you've suffered, some fault or some failing that you've encountered that you just can't talk about with anybody. And you carry it privately. And it isolates you from even those closest to you. It's an extremely personal matter. And you have this secret some embarrassment, some struggle, some ongoing conflict, some relational heartache, or maybe even some success that's embarrassing to you that you really don't want to talk about, that you don't want to lay claim to, that you know, God has done for you and, and it's difficult to even speak of. And, and in those moments, we, like that lady, are, are moving and functioning in the world, but... But in a way, we're not. In a, in a way, we're in a bubble. In a way, we're isolated by that situation. Maybe you're in that situation now. I think most of us have something like that in our life. We're trapped by our sense of unworthiness. Or perhaps, as this lady, a sense of unimportance. She could have easily thought that she was as worthy as anybody else, as worthy as Jairus, the synagogue leader, but maybe she just felt, you know, unimportant, that, that the God of gods has more important things than my situation, even life and death, to care about and to concern himself over. Or maybe it's the fear of others. You know, because if I'm open and honest about the things that I feel shame over, or, or my fears, or my struggles, or my difficulty, I can't trust people. People talk. They gossip. They pass judgment. And I can't control that. And so rather than even try to control it, I would just keep it to myself. And maybe you do too. A sense of unworthiness, unimportance, or fear of others. Or Satan whispering in your ear, you lack faith. You're a whiner. Why don't you just deal with this yourself? It's not that important to share. Certainly not to involve yourself in prayer. Now, that lady might have been feeling any or all of those things. I don't know. 
But I know that she felt alone and she felt isolated. For 12 years, she had this burden of this hemorrhage that she could not stop. And it kept her unclean in the Jewish sense of not being able to worship. It, it uh, certainly was a physical aggravation. It, it probably had other consequences that were embarrassing for her to have to deal with as well. What drew her, despite these concerns, to the Lord that day? Clearly three things drew her, and I think these should apply to you as well. Her need. She had tried. This was beyond her ability. It's beyond my ability to deal with my fears sometimes as, as uh, lacking in you know, uh, reason as they may be. I, I still feel them. I'm still anxious. It, it, it was her need. She, she could get no relief any other way. And so finally, she didn't care anymore. She was just willing to risk it and do what she could do as best as she could. And it was also Jesus' spirit. Her need drove her there, but also the spirit of Jesus. He, he, he had shown in his behavior, and this is what's so precious about Jesus, not that he just came to be our Savior and die on the cross and uh, leave the tomb empty and, and assure our salvation, but he also came in all of his interactions. He shows us, he shows us God, doesn't he? In his interactions with people, he shows us how God deals with people, how God cares for people. When, when you think Jesus was gracious, Jesus was kind, he welcomed children, he, he spoke to Gentiles, he, he welcomed prostitutes to touch him, and, and all the things that he did, that's God's mind. And, and so it was her need and what she knew about Jesus' attitude. She, she felt that he was approachable. And ultimately, it was his power. Doctors couldn't heal her. No one else's counsel could bring her the peace, but, but Jesus had power. Even Nicodemus came to Jesus and said, you know, I, I, I know all the other Sadducees and Pharisees reject you, uh, but you have to be from God because no one can do the miracles you do unless God is with him. His power was obvious and people knew it. And she was drawn to him by her need, by his spirit, and by his power, and by the very touch of his garment, she was healed, forever changed. Jairus, leader of the synagogue, no more important than the secret arm that reached through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment so that he stopped everything. No one of us is so unimportant in no situation too small to bring to the attention of the Lord. If it's troubling you, bring it to the attention of the Lord and expect that he cares, that he'll stop everything and provide for your care. Now, getting back to the story in which this story is buried, he then turned to Jairus and said, Show me your daughter. And as he was walking to Jairus' house, a servant came and said, Trouble the master no more. Your daughter has died. No one is too great, no situation too great that Jesus can't heal. He said, We'll go see her anyway. And when they got there, people said, There's no point in coming here. 
the girl has died. And Jesus said, she only sleeps. Let's go awaken her. And they laughed at him and they mocked him. Jesus took only Peter, James, and John and the parents of that girl and they went in the room and they came out with that girl alive. He stopped that important resurrection from the death to care for a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, who had something that brought her shame, that kept her isolated, and he brought her to the crowd and presented her as worthy. And then he provided also for Jairus. No situation too small, no one so unimportant, no situation too great, no one too important for Jesus to care. We're about to sing a, a song called It Is Well. And uh, I love this song. We've, it's become a favorite here because it speaks about the fact that despite my circumstance, uh, I know it's well because I have a relationship with Jesus. And in these stories, we find out how much he cares for us, not only to provide for our salvation, but also to provide for our life. And I know that it is well with my sister because she has that relationship with the Lord Jesus too. And I pray it is well with you no matter what your circumstance, no matter what keeps you in the secret, in the shadows, it is well with your soul. Amen.